I'm excited to talk about this topic with you. And normally when I get started with these Startup Life Uncensored videos, I talk about how I know the person I'm interviewing. And so basically 30 something years ago, you pushed and I was here. <laughs> That's how easy it was. <laughs> so today we're gonna to talk about a topic that a lot of people have been telling me they wanna hear about. And that is the generational evolution of the badass working woman, which you are the perfect person to talk to about. Am I a badass? Oh, I was insinuating that you were older, but oh, <laughs> yes, badass. badass with gray hair. Yes. To get us started, would love for you to share with the audience, because I'm already aware. Hi, audience. <laughs> a little bit about your professional background, including your education. Okay, so I majored in child development and minored in psychology because I was going to be a teacher because there were basically two standard jobs. You were a teacher or a secretary, and that's what girls did. And I grew up with a mommy who did not work, and I did not have a role model of what it was like to work and have kids and try to do it all. So I was sort of a pioneer in that regard. So that was your education, and it had nothing to do with what you ended up doing? Zero. I worked through college. I got a job as a gal Friday, which basically means you do whatever needs to be done. And I got a job as Gal Friday working for a couple of women who were manufacturing women's tennis clothes. Did you play tennis? No. <laughs> I, mean, I had a racket, but I was like, no, I, I sucked at it. But I was their fitting model along with other things. Yeah, it was a weird job. I actually well, didn't know that. Yeah, while well, I was in college. Okay. And then, and then I started designing the clothes for them. And then I got a job in the shoe business and being a gal Friday and ended up running their wholesale business, becoming a VP at 22 years old. Holy crap. And ended up designing shoes for Italian factories for them. I, it's like I didn't, I didn't get the message that I should be in design then. That my background became like importing and business management, and then I got a job in the tile business, hired as a manager, and here I was designing again. And I never got the message that, oh, maybe you should be a designer. I didn't figure that out until I turned 60. But what I learned along the way is that I loved business, I loved management, I loved helping people, and mm -hmm. all these jobs just sort of evolved, and here I am. And here you are as a designer. And as you tell me, still figuring out what the hell you're doing. Oh my God. Every day, every day is an adventure. I know I'm enjoying what I'm doing a ton. That's great. And I feel fulfilled and I love not having a boss. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that. I know. I feel like by the end of these series, everyone's like, so I should just quit my job and start my own thing. A little bit more complicated than that. Much more complicated than that. <laughs> like you said, your mom didn't work. And you were really the first generation, I think, of the women who did it all. And I'd love for you to share kind of what that was like, especially in male-dominated industries. So I'll really start with the job that I had the longest for 23 years in the title and stone industry, working for a one of the largest privately held corporations in the United States. It was definitely male dominated. As much as my 
division founder was a woman and she was a fabulous role model. I adored her, but she left in 2002 and then it became a revolving door of men trying to run this business and they they didn't have the heart and soul that she did. Their lead in into decisions is looking at a spreadsheet. Her lead in was looking at people. Mm. It was just a very different approach. And I struggled a bit after she left because I watched the heart and soul get managed out of the business and that people were no longer the priority. And let's be real, you stayed there for a while after that had happened too. But I know and I remember being a kid and kind of seeing the shift in your energy about work. I felt very protective of this company. I was there from the very beginning. It started in our dining room. I know. I felt I was, it was like my baby. Yeah. And I look at, I was driven. I don't know why I was driven. (laughs) I like, I had to work and I had to make money. I don't know. I didn't have that. I think it was the independence of what money meant. That was a motivator for me. Which is interesting because you didn't get that from your mom. Where did that come from? Maybe grandpa. I'm much more related to my father than my mother. He owned his own company. I worked for him for a period of time and seeing my daddy be the boss really made an impact on me. My father was the eldest son of 10 kids. And so he would lead family meetings and a a Passover Seder. And he was the head and we would sit at the head table. And it was like, oh, we're leaders. I guess that's what we do. And so that sort of put that influence. That's so funny because I think of myself as a leader. And the last thing I think of is Passover Seder. (laughs) But it's funny that that had such an impact for you. But you also, well, but you also grew up with parents who were both in management. Totally, totally. And so that's what we did. We we were just, that's like, and I don't know, I don't know if it was because of grandpa, I'm not sure. Whatever. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> well, and so I know we've talked about the work piece of it and being a badass and working and being in the male-dominated industry. There's also a whole other component of doing it all. And for me, that's being a parent. And I remember as a kid, both of my parents worked full-time. And it's funny to think now that that was uncommon, but I do think it was uncommon. As the kid, I was the one getting picked up by carpool. I was the one who didn't do homework with my parents. And I remember at the time being really resentful, like how come mom isn't home to give me snacks and blah, blah, blah. And if it makes you feel any better, I still feel guilty about it. <laughs> Don't, because I was about to say, I think that that's one of the reasons why I am really independent. And I think maybe even I was more independent at an earlier age because I didn't have mommy helping me with homework and daddy there da, 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 da. and I also think that it made the times that we were together so much more special okay that makes me feel mildly better <laughs> thanks for that I mean I most of my girlfriends did not work full-time they either didn't work or worked part-time and I literally had one girlfriend who worked full-time and she was a rocket scientist and we used to joke that I would work with gay designers and she would work with four-star generals <laughs> and even though we had those really different life experiences and, and these are people who bought the house down the block from us right. so we could raise our kids together we talk now about like just these 
commonalities that went through our lives about what it was like to work, even though it was a very different working environment. Yeah. We were still struggling with decisions that management would make that we wouldn't agree with. Picking your battles, which I was not good at. I, yep. was, I was just a fighter because I was protected. This is my baby. Oh, that so that's where I got it from. I didn't realize that was your fault. Oh, God, honey. <laughs> you can blame everything. If, as long as you can have somebody to blame stuff on, uh -huh. you're good. No, but I remember how hard it was to not be there for you guys when, mm. when you would come home from school. And one of those many reminders that you have children and you think you can control everything. And you realize as you get older, your children teach you, you basically have no control. No control. It's, it's a crapshoot. Well, it's interesting though. It's like at work when you're the boss, you are technically in control. And oh, much more easy to control a work environment than it is a home environment. And then you come home and it's just utter chaos. But then you were fed, you were clothed, you were... You know, Not only was I fed, but it's funny, Erin and I talk about it all the time, what a huge part of my childhood it was. We had family dinner every single night. It didn't matter that my parents worked full time. At like 5.30 or 6 p.m. every night, there was food on the table and not like a box of mac and cheese, although sometimes yes. There was a meal on the table and we always sat together. And I think that that was such a huge part of my childhood. And, and I know that it's going to be really important to us to do that for our kids too. I didn't realize that a lot of people don't do that. I think it is vital to have a moment. And look, at not every family can do that. We were very fortunate. We had help at home. Mm -hmm. We had somebody who was helping, I would say, you know, boil the noodles or whatever. I mean, I would do most of it when I got home. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was a time and I it's the one thing I can look back and say, okay, we did that right. You did that right. Didn't do everything right. We did that right. But it's funny too, because now that I'm thinking about it out loud, those meals had a lot of less like parenting lessons. Considering I'm pregnant, thinking about how I want to parent my kids. It's a big compliment to you because I want to do a lot of the things the same. And I'm talking not only about like sweet family dinners, but also I remember if there was something that you made for dinner and I didn't want to eat it, do that. <laughs> I'm not a short order cook, kid. No, and it's, it's just funny to think about like, the kid meal versus the adult meal, it was always the same meal. I do think with parenting, you have to cut yourself a lot of slack. You're going to screw up. Yeah. If you create a perfect environment for your child, I promise you they'll be screwed up because they don't have anything to overcome. Mm. And challenges are important for children. I remember somebody once said to me, and I think about it all the time, that if you do for your children what they can do for themselves, you're hurting them. Because you're taking away a lesson, a life lesson. Your kid's going to fall down. It's okay. And I figured, you know, you're going to have to give them some material to talk to the therapist about anyway. Who was it? What a friend of yours? Sarah, the, on the other oh, episode. With the therapy jar. I love that idea. <laughs> I talk about the therapy jar now all the time. So Sarah, thank you for that inspiration. Yeah, it was good. And I think I have even said on that episode, it's not a matter of if I screw up my kids, how, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think 
about, even though I worked full time, I remember just enjoying my children. I enjoyed it. And we would do, and sometimes it was the stupidest. So I remember lying on the front lawn with you and we were looking up at the sky and we were trying to imagine what we saw in the shapes of the clouds. And it was just little moments like that. Yeah. But those, it's not the big moments, it's the little moments. I love that your memories like that are sweet and romantic. My my memories of like true bonding with you in fifth grade when I had to remember states and capitals. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna be busted. <laughs> I was 10 in fifth grade and had to remember states and capitals and I will tell you I got a hundred percent. I'm sure you did. Oh that especially Pennsylvania. Because we came up with really inappropriate ways to remember them. And so Harrisburg, Pennsylvania was hairy penis. And that was literally, when I was 10 years old, it was like, how do you get 100%? My mom helped me study. <laughs> but it's like moments like that where you could just be totally idiotic and goofy. And then the other memory I have is when you would put me to bed and dad would get mad. Oh, because we would laugh so much. Because he's like, okay, time to go to bed. And mom would go put me to bed. And then all of a sudden you would hear cackling and cracking up and screaming from the room because we would just be goofing You're up. You're riling her up. You're riling her up. All the time. But it was just, I enjoyed being a mom, even though it was a struggle. I mean, there were days, like my typical day, I would wake up at seven, get breakfast on the table, pack the lunches, you know, get ready for work. Kids are off to school. I'm off to work. Worked my butt off. Came home, cooked dinner, did the baths, did the homework and then worked some more. And there were days where I would come home, I would be so tired and overwhelmed. I would cry. I would just cry. I had no idea. Because you're good at hiding it. You, well, it wasn't appropriate. I need you to understand how yeah. that, you know, it's like, that wasn't appropriate. It's life. Life yeah. isn't always pretty and it's a struggle and you're not going to do everything perfectly and perfect is not the goal. Sometimes well, adequate should be the goal. Not even. I think survival should be the goal. Yeah. But just, and I know we're talking about other things, but back to the, the little boy who was cooking away in there. Uh -huh. Enjoy him. Yeah. Just enjoy. You know, it's fun to be stupid and silly. And who's, who better to be stupid and silly with than your kid? I mean, life is so serious. You need to like take the pressure down a hundred percent. I'm excited to reignite my imagination and just, you know, play with crap. Yeah. But I think adults forget to play. You know I love to play. I know you're really big on play. I'm really big on playing. In fact, even with my friends who were old, we make play dates. It's funny. I think I actually mentioned you in one of the last episodes talking about how you went through this huge transition when you turned 60 and you said, I don't want to have to do things because I feel obligated anymore. I'm going to do things because I want to do them. If I don't want to go somewhere or do something, I'm going to say no. And I'm going to choose to surround myself with positive people and only do things that light me up and lift me up. Okay, I'm very fortunate. I worked my butt off most of my life. And at 60, I said, this is my turn. I am no longer going to listen to somebody else making rules and regulations that I don't believe in. I am going to create my own destiny. I am going, I just, I found my voice. Yeah. I wish I would have done it earlier. As frustrating as it was working for a large corporation for many years, because I don't have a large corporate mentality at all. Mm -hmm. 
I push back on unnecessary rules and regulations. I think you have to allow people freedom and creativity, especially working in a creative environment. But I learned so much. I learned things that worked and I learned things that didn't work. But to be in a position now where I get to say what works for me. And I, only, I, I made a list when I started my business. What do I love doing and what don't I love to do? Mm. And that was what guided me into how I was going to structure my business. I'm smiling so much because that's literally what I do with my clients when they're trying to figure out, I'm unhappy in my job. <laughs> yeah, you get full credit. Um, it has nothing to do with my program and my training that I did, but yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but it's important, you know, if you are trying to figure out what you want to do in your career or whatever, instead of trying to say, oh, it needs to be this, it needs to be this, just take a look at the things that you enjoy doing and chances are there's going to be some commonalities and some threads in there that make sense together and bada bing, bada boom. So here I was, you know, I was managing interior design showrooms. I had a team, I had a parent company, I had the corporate, it was, like, you know, it was all the, the, that structure. When I created my own business, it was like, okay, I, I learned a ton there, but I also learned what didn't work. So in deciding how I was going to structure my business, it was like, I don't want to be an administrator. That's not fun. How am I going to structure my bookkeeping system where I will spend the least amount of time doing administrative work? I could mark up product, but then there's a liability. Purchases go through you. I choose to leave money on the table because I don't want to do that. I am turned on by creativity and helping clients and drawing. How do I make that the majority of what I do every day? And that was how I created my business. And I, it's funny because I look back and I go, it is so obvious I should have done design for many, many more years, but it just didn't occur to me. I didn't have, I didn't have somebody goes, you know, everything you do, you keep going to design. Why don't you, you know, consider doing that? Do you have regrets about your career? I am so happy now. And now is the result of all those experiences before. And, and it's not all supposed to be perfect. I was talking to a friend yesterday who worked for a different division, but in the same corporation that I work with. And she was, we were talking about how, you know, we were working for all these suits and how they didn't value women as much as they should have. It was a male-dominated organization and how frustrated we were. And we would see things that they would do that just were illogical and they didn't pass the smell test. And yet we look back and we say it was still one of the better companies that we were for with all of that stuff. I think about going to a company to buy a piece of furniture with you recently. Oh, and from the time we left the house until we were able to get this one transaction action done because they wouldn't, they couldn't do back orders and they couldn't process orders on the phone and you had to wait an hour to get inside this room to this four hours to order one piece of furniture. Yeah. And how many companies are dysfunctional? It is so clear that I am a product of you, not only because we are blind and look the same, but I have the same thoughts and it's actually bitten me in the ass a few times. Totally. Where it's like, well, how come they didn't do it this way? This would have been the more obvious choice. And I talked about it on this other episode about how finding my voice took a while and took a lot of bumps because I had to figure out how to find my voice and offer that constructive criticism in a way that wasn't immediately putting people down. So I will tell you, you get to the point where you learn through life and then all of a sudden you have kids and your kids become adults and then you learn from your children. It's like, oh, okay, this is different. <laughs> I remember this one time, the first startup that you worked for, 
when you had a challenge with somebody in management, not a senior manager, and I bet you know who I'm talking about, and you had a challenge and I'm saying, well, you know, why don't you do this or why don't you say that? And you said, because I want to be much more strategic and I'm going to do it this way and I'm going to bide my time on this one because I'm going to wait for something. I don't remember exactly what the scenario was, <laughs> but you were much, and you are much more strategic than I. I mean, that's something I'm still learning. And I kept thinking, okay, I'm 66 years old. Am I cooked yet? <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> and they keep learning these things. It's amazing. It's amazing. So I want to take us back a little bit because we're talking about the evolution and what it was like in the 90s when you were the working mom. And something that I talk about so much is how I wasn't raised in a traditional family because my mom was the breadwinner. And I think that was and probably still is for the most part not common. And I think that I learned a lot of my work ethic and was inspired by that. I can't imagine it now. Just working full time and being the breadwinner and having all that responsibility and being the parent and all the things. I'm curious to know what type of support you did or didn't receive during that experience. I think that traditionally I was still the mom and did a lot of the mom things. I mean, dad does laundry now. He didn't do laundry then. Aaron does laundry now. I know. I, look, I grew up, I think I, I was fixated in the Cinderella stage of development. I was waiting for Prince Charming to come along on his white horse. And it took me a while to figure out that I didn't really need that kind of support because I was really strong and I really could take care of myself. And there, there were times where I wish I had more support because I didn't want to always be that strong person. And there's even the strongest person has times where you're not feeling so strong. Totally. But it's okay to be the badass woman. And it took me a long time to get to that point. But I realized it's like, well, I guess I am strong. I guess I do have the capability. And the reality is, look, dad was a nonprofit and he did important work. Somebody had it before profit. For some reason, I don't even know why, I never had trouble making money. It kind of came naturally to me. Mm -hmm. And so I just let my flag fly. Yeah. So hopefully this doesn't cross too many boundaries. What is it like in a relationship? Like, were there conversations between you and dad about you making more money and being the breadwinner and what that was like. I know Aaron and I have had conversations like that. Was it ever a discussion or was it kind of just the way it was? Yes, it was a discussion. It's still sometimes a discussion. You know, there, there's still times where I feel like it would have been nice to not have to work as hard as I did. Mm -hmm. But I also think that work can have a negative connotation. Yep. I like work. I yeah. think work can be fun. Can I mean, I just got a new project yesterday. I'm so excited. And I just sent her an email. I go, we're going to have so much fun. That's how I feel about my clients. I had this like realization the other day because obviously being pregnant, I'm tired a lot. There have been a couple of clients who don't like to meet until after they're done with their work day. So like six or seven o'clock. And I remember like the last couple of weeks, I've had a couple of those sessions leading up to it. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted. How am I possibly going to do a good job in this coaching session? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one part of it. Um, but no, it's like, as soon as I get on these Zoom calls and start talking to my clients about what's going on, of their life and the goals and and metaphors and all the things it's like it's like a shot of espresso it's like by the end of it i'm like what's next where do we go what do we do like that was so fun and i remember aaron is sometimes like 
I thought you were exhausted. I'm like, I was, now I'm not. Let's keep going. But that's all about finding your passion. Totally. Well, it makes me think of I'm at work at the nine to five or nine to six and I'm exhausted. I'm sitting at my desk. I can barely keep my eyes open. And then once I get home, I'm like, oh, I'm not that tired. I have energy. And there's something about being in that job that doesn't necessarily light you up. You feel exhausted because you're not stimulated. And there's also, I'm the kind of person, and I think you definitely have become the kind of person that's like, I want to make a list and then I want to check things off the list. And sometimes you want to even put something on the list you've already done just so you could feel that sense of completion. Uh, 100%. Yeah. I, I even do that when I go to the grocery store. Is that weird? But there's something to me, I'm like a productive junkie. I am, yeah. I am stimulated by feeling productive. And there's sometimes, particularly now in COVID shutdown, mm -hmm. where it's very easy to turn into a slug. And the other day it's like, Okay, I need to just get out of my pajamas, put on some real clothes. I won't do a zipper yet. It's like the zippers are overrated. <laughs> but to just be productive, to do mm -hmm. something, rearrange the tchotchkes in your house, or yeah. do something that, you know, something yeah. that feels like you're doing something new or unique. I cleaned up the closet to make room for Aaron's clothes so we have more room in the nursery for baby stuff. And it was like, fun. And then you want to look at the closet afterwards and go, so what I did? So many times. <laughs> because it's also having that sense of accomplishment. Totally. It's like, and it's interesting, and I don't know if you've experienced this, being an entrepreneur and working for yourself, I don't necessarily feel that sense of accomplishment nearly as much as I did working in a company. And so now it's like I have to find other ways to get that sense of accomplishment. Speaking about entrepreneurship, you asked me something the other day, which was really very interesting and a little telling. And it was like one of those moments where I go, oh, I guess I didn't have that right. And it's okay. About the fact that both you and your brother Ben are quote unquote entrepreneurs. Which still blows my mind. The way I approached becoming an entrepreneur at 60 was the fact that I worked very hard and made decent money to the point where I didn't really have to work. So I felt mm -hmm. protected. And the reality is I'm not a risk taker. Mm -hmm. So that was a safe way of going into becoming an entrepreneur. You and your brother did it in a very different way. Uh -huh. And I was apprehensive. I'm not one of those mothers that doesn't give you an opinion. I will give you my opinions. You and Ben both <clears throat> wanted to go out and create a business when I didn't feel that you should learn lessons while you're working for somebody mm -hmm. else. So you don't have to worry about money. Right. You don't have to worry about insurance. You don't have to worry about liability and learn the lessons on somebody else's dime. Right and learn from their experiences. And that was the way I went about it. And that's the way I envisioned the best way to go into that world. And both of you chose not to go that route. And I advised both of you to maybe work for someone else a little longer or get a, maybe another job. Yeah. And I'm glad you both did this. I was wrong. I was Do you wrong. hear that, guys? She's glad I, I didn't listen to her. <laughs> well, and let's be real. I have come to terms with the fact that whatever I'm doing now, because this was a big pivot for me, this is not going to be my forever. 
there is a good chance I will still go and work for another company and learn on their dime. And there's a good chance that I'm going to change my mind 15 times. I think that what was probably different generationally is your generation worked for the same company for so long. My generation has a little bit more job ADD. The degree to which it has changed from my generation to yours is like warp speed. My generation wasn't that much different than my parents, other than right. women worked more, but like business structure and all that stuff wasn't as dramatic of a shift as it is as it is from my generation to your generation. I mean, it's funny. I talk to people now who are like, oh, I want to leave this job. I'm so miserable. How long have you been there? I've, I've been in the job for a year, but I feel, I'm like, oh, a year? If you have a, something on your resume for a year these days, it's like normal. And when I would look at a stack of resumes, mm -hmm. one of the first things I would look at was job history. And if somebody hopped from job to job, I didn't want to. The reality is, since that was a priority and when I was hiring people, I ended up having very little turnover. And there are some people who just, you know, okay, what's next? Okay, what's next? As opposed to really digging in and learning and, and staying in an industry. I might agree to disagree with you on that. I think there's definitely people who are just hopping into the next best thing. And I know some people like that and they're not really taking advantage of the jobs the way they could. But at the same time, I think working in startups, what I've learned is a lot of times a startup will outgrow its employees. And a lot of times employees will outgrow the startup. For example, when I was working at my first startup and look, there were 10 employees, you know, when there were maybe under 50 employees and we were still figuring things out, some people were like, okay, I got how this works. I want bigger. I want a bigger company. I want more structure. Then they would go on. And one year at a startup is like, it's like dog years. It's totally dog years. And on the flip side, you know, I've worked at a startup of 500 people. And after being there, I realized maybe this startup outgrew me. I like a smaller company with less structure so I can have more of an impact. And I don't want to just be another employee or another number. So I hear you, but I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with the hopping these days. I think if someone is leaving a job every few months, that's a red flag, but it's really changed. Well, I also think that networking wasn't as much of a thing in my generation as it is in yours. And talking about putting things out in the universe, that was definitely <laughs> You not. guys didn't manifest when you were? No, we were not into manifesting, <laughs> although you never been able to I know how good And I always say, if you could manifest a parking space, what else can you manifest? I mean, I think people are so much more powerful oh, yeah. than they believe. You know, you talk about what percentage of your brain you truly tap into. I know, depressing. But it's okay. You don't have to tap into all of it, but you know you've got the resources there. Yeah. But I do think there's something about putting it out in the universe totally. and and paying attention to opportunities because I, I think about how you got your job, which was happenstance and being happened to be at the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the right time, whatever. And that opportunities present themselves to you. And I think that if you are open to those signs, they're going to be so much louder than you realize. I think when I meet someone and they're like, oh, I should introduce you to so-and-so, I'm like, oh, maybe, yeah, that could be cool. And then I feel like more recently, it's like, oh my God, that person might lead me to my next client or my next opportunity or my next person to interview on Startup Life Uncensored. And it's just crazy when you're open to opportunities, how they just flow. And it's a 
completely. And it's also a reflection of you. I've, I've noticed, I mean, you are high energy, full of life, and you are attracting that kind of person. And I right. think you get back what you put out there. Yes. And I think that that's how I am now because I am fulfilled and lit up and following my passion. I was not always like that. When I was going through a dark time and figuring out what the hell I wanted to do and having a little bit of an identity crisis, I was not attracting the things that I wanted. Do you remember what I said to you? Through confusion comes clarity. I believe that I said to you, this time will serve you. Yeah. You don't know when or how, but it will. And you have to let yourself go through that stuff. Okay. I am a fixer. I have a problem. I want to like and fix it. But there is value in when you have a struggle is to not rush through that mm -hmm. and to learn from that. You know, what's working, what's not working, how am I feeling right now? Checking in with yourself. It's, we're all in process. You know, one of the things that we were talking about before the camera came on, that one of the things we were talking about is imposter syndrome. When I was in the Highland Styling business in my first job, really, you know, they trained me on how to use, we didn't have, it was pre-computer. You had to handwrite the invoice I was going to say you didn't etch almost, <laughs> almost. And so they trained us on these are what the products are, and this is how to write up an invoice. But they never trained me on how do you interact with the client? What is our process? And and I kept saying, well, our clients are these high-end designers and architects. Are we supposed to like guide them? Are we? Supposed to? They never answered. Do so you I know that I had the same conversation at my last company? I said. What's the brand voice? So like, what do you mean? I was like, you know, if I'm interacting with customers, am I the girl next door? Am I super friendly, casual? Am I super buttoned up professional? And it was like, oh, we haven't established our, our brand voice. I'm like, that's like a thing. Word to the, the wise or whomever, best perk of any job, hopefully will be the relationships that you will you know, the people you will meet along the way because that has been like all of your all of your closest friends for the most part clients. were your clients. Were my clients. Yeah. No. So I remember sitting down with this client, you know, a couple glasses of wine and we sat, we drank wine and we figured out what to do with this project. And so what happened over many years, because I was in like the high end of that industry, was that our clients were the top designers and the top architects and the top builders in the city, if not in the country. And not only did I learn from them, I learned how to draw from watching this one particular designer draw. And I give him credit to this day. I was like, oh, I could probably figure out how to do that. But I realized how many designers didn't know what they were doing. Did not know, because what I was selling was kind of technical. You needed to know, you know how to install this stuff and how to do your transitions and whatever. I was amazed at how many designers couldn't do it, how many designers could not draw. And so I became their go-to person because I would basically do all their work. I mean, there was a major designer. What I realized they never went to design school. I didn't either but they were getting like these high profile jobs and architectural dodges and whatever. And they really relying on me. I was making money on the sale of the product and I created dependent relationships. Mm -hmm. So I was making a lot of money. I was like fine with it. I okay. didn't have, my ego was not involved in this. I was looking at the bottom line. 
I was really, that, that was what drove me. As I decided to become a designer, and here I was a go-to person for designer, and a lot of my initial clients when I opened up my business were other designers. I still felt like I was faking it. Mm -hmm. And I still have moments of insecurity to this day. How do you cope with that? I allow myself to have those moments mm -hmm. of insecurity, and then I just get past it. I'll go through design magazines, and I'll look at things that are on the cover and I'm going, this doesn't work with this. And, when, and this is on a scale. When I, that's, like, that's like my own self-training is going through magazines and trying to punch holes. In. And as a, you know, an architectural commissioner for the city of Beverly Hills, what I do now is you go through plans and I look for the problems. I'm curious to know how, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but how your age has impacted your business decisions. I think going back to how I structured my business and really wanting to be true to the idea that I will only do what brings me joy. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and because I have so many years of working my butt off and, and saved a couple of dollars, I have the freedom to do that. I still have this thing of wanting to serve people and wanting to be of value. In fact, I'll tell you a mistake that I made. Because I still sometimes have insecurities about it, I will not charge a client for the number of hours I work because, oh my God, it took me three hours to find this damn perfect chandelier. That's an unreasonable amount of time. It shouldn't take me that long. So I'm only going to charge for an hour and a half, even though I really did put in three hours because I want- That's crazy. I know it's stupid, but I want the client to think I'm so good and so efficient. And it's totally about insecurities. And I remember another designer with that, who I talked to when I was structuring my business and I asked for advice from her. And she said, you charge for everything, including when you do billing for that client, you charge them for the time. And I'm going, that's an I couldn't do that. That just didn't feel right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but my gut says that your attitude towards charging clients would be different if you weren't in the financial situation you are now because you worked your ass off all those years. If you were doing what you're doing now years ago when you still needed to make money, I think you would probably handle it totally differently. I don't know. I mean, look, I'm the same person. I still have my insecurities. Yeah. I think the fact that I didn't go to design school, even though I have many more years in the design industry than most designers I work with and comparing, you know, just... I think that's part of where the insecurity comes from, mm. even though some of my biggest clients never went to design school. I'd also love to hear about what type of boss you are to yourself and thinking back of all of your years of experience and working in corporate companies, what kind of pieces or lessons you took from that into your own business? I always believe that if somebody else is paying you to do a job, you should work as hard as you can all the time. And you should be as nice as you can be to everybody all the time. So I- Do you still believe that? On some levels I do. I was really, a, in that regard, a really good employee because I, I, I took tremendous pride in everything I did. And I still do to this day. But I am not a good boss to myself because I am so driven. I work way too fast. I get charged by the hour. And I was thinking about it 
last week I was at a client's house and he said, you know, the number of knobs came in and it wasn't what we ordered. And he's talking to me and I'm texting the answer and I go, okay, I got that taken care of. Okay, and the refrigerator we have to change it. Okay, okay, that's taken care of. I mean, I could go back to my office and not do it in warp speed in front of the client, but it's like, I want to chuck it off goals as fast as I possibly can. So again, I am a really good designer. If somebody wants a really good value because I, I work so fast. But if you enjoy that, what's wrong with it? It sets up a challenging expectation that I'm going to respond immediately. Mm-hmm. If a client calls me at nine o'clock at night, I sometimes pick up the phone. I talk a lot with clients about how it's almost important to come up with a ceremony that you do every day or a ritual you do every day that symbolically closes out the workday, especially working remotely. I think a lot of people have a hard time. This constant always kind of being on, I think it messes with your head. That, I, I agree, and yet there are times where I'm not in the mood to watch television. I can't do another damn jigsaw puzzle. And oh, I've got a couple of drawings I do, and I get in the mood to do it. That's so if I'm in the mood, right? if I'm feeling it, I'm doing it. And sometimes in the middle of the day, I mean, that's one thing about working for yourself. I want to go for a walk right now. Hmm. I'm not working right now, I'm going for a walk, and I can do it at any time. If I have clients that need to meet on weekends because they work during the week, I'm fine with that. I might, you know, but then I'm going to take Wednesday off. I remember just the idea of having to go to a doctor appointment and I had a scheduled time off and I had to make sure I had coverage and all of that stuff and the idea of working from home and you don't have to do that and you have some flexibility as long as you get your work done. That was such a struggle for me doing something as simple as going to a doctor appointment. And my gut says that's changing so rapidly right now, just with everything going on. I think companies are forced to have to be more flexible than ever before, which must be such a, excuse me, but a mindfuck for you because thinking of your corporate life back in the day to what the norm is now must blow your mind. My life would have been so much easier if I could have worked from home, that I wouldn't have felt as torn, but also the reality of being home with children all day long. Yeah. I can get old too. Okay, I, I as much as I loved kids, mm-hmm. I loved being a mommy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the mommy who was going to sit on the floor for hours on end playing Barbies. I would be cooking in the kitchen and you guys would be sitting on the yeah. floor and matching the pots to the lids and the Tupperware containers with the I lids. thought we used to play the drums on the, on the pots and pans. Sure, all of that stuff. <laughs> but that, I was interacting with you in that way but I was also getting stuff done but yeah I didn't have the luxury of time Mm -hmm. to just sit and play and whatever but the reality is I'm not that kind of mom yeah and there's different ways of being a mom so on our way to wrap things up I'd love to hear from you what would you say the biggest changes are when we think about this evolution of the badass working woman from when you began your career till now? I think there's many more options available now. I think that with COVID, for example, there are opportunities that are popping up left and right. I think more things are possible. It was a much more limited number of choices available to women, particularly women or anybody in my generation. And now it's like half the businesses are out there didn't exist. Mm -hmm. I have a son who's an urban farmer 
and a daughter who's a life coach. Those industries, that, that, that wasn't even a thing. Yeah. When I was, you know, I was back in there, you could be a nurse, you could be a teacher, you could be a secretary, a dental hygienist. That was one of the choices. It was limited. Now you could do, you could be, you know, a, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You mm -hmm. could be anything. And I think women in general are getting the recognition that they deserve and they don't have to be apologetic for their strength. Oh, I just got chills. It can also be vice president. You bet. Like biggest differences between now and when you probably started your careers. Not only are women, do women have more opportunities and possibilities, but they're able to talk about it and share it without immediately getting judged. I think women have found their voice, like how you found your voice when you turned 60. I think women are finding their voices and people are accepting and hearing those voices much earlier on. So to really wrap things up, what is a piece of advice that you would have for women who are aspiring to become that badass in these current times. Follow your passion, be open to opportunities out there and to find the cultural fit because culture is so important. Be someplace that brings you joy, be someplace where, where you feel validated. There's so, it's the least expensive and the most effective thing that somebody can do in a business is to give people recognition. Look for opportunities to give recognition. It's very easy to see mistakes because they pop out more. Right. But you're also giving energy towards negativity. And the reverse is also true. If you recognize people doing things that are positive and you recognize them for that, mm -hmm. you can call it positive energy there. You can call it behavior modification, whatever you want. Find people in the act of doing something right. And recognize it. And recognize it. It is, it, it, it costs you nothing. Yeah. And it's more important to people than compensation. And you never, recognition. It is. And you never know when someone's having a really shitty day. And that's the thing that is going to absolutely change their day. Think about what it costs a company to have turnover. And how much time it takes to find a new employee. Yeah. Companies that like to have the new people because they're cheaper and then you don't have that continuity it's short-sighted thinking 100% well this was a blast this was fun this was fun we could obviously go on for hours but I appreciate you taking the time and sharing your experience with this whole new generation of women who are hoping to do something similar to what you're doing uh, give them my number. I'll take care of them. I know. If you need a mom, <laughs> she adopts my friends all the time. Happy hours at five. <laughs> Sometimes for <four>, three. Sometimes for <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mom. Bye.